This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael Shorten, Chicago Wiz, and I'm glad you are joining me here today. This episode is actually going to be kind of hard to talk about because I'm going to be talking about something visual. I'm going to be talking about maps and how I do mapping in my campaign. Uh, cover a little bit about the tools I use and about the different types of maps that I do. And hopefully at the end of this, you'll have an idea of what I've done and how maybe picked up some uh, tips and tricks that you can take into your campaign. Um, I will put up some links on uh, the description of this podcast and on the uh, WordPress blog uh, about the various maps that I have and, uh, and the tools that I use. So stay with us and hope you, uh, hope you get something out of this episode. So as I've talked about, my first hex maps for my current AD&D campaign started off really small. There were only three hexes that, uh, that I filled in. But even back then, I had fallen in love with a tool that I've continued to use for well, almost a decade now. Um, I went on the web and on the various forums back in 2009 to try and find a good hex mapping tool and you know there was there were some more common ones that you know people had heard about uh, campaign cartographer and things like that but then there was this guy who was advertising a shareware of, of all things a blast blast from the past a shareware version of a application called hexographer uh, and uh, it was very easy to use it was very much click and Pick the uh, terrain type and pick what you wanted in the hex, and it printed nicely, and it uh, exported to images, and it worked beautifully. And um, I went ahead and started using it. Um, as I mentioned, I started off with three hexes, which were uh, about the you know 24 miles or give or take, basically the uh, the length of a of a day's walk, and that grew to be a map the size of 250 hexes wide by 125 hexes tall. And this is an entire continent. Um, I've said that it's about the size of what Russia would be. And I'm, when you convert to miles, it's actually pretty close. I would, by my calculation, take about a game year for you to walk from one end to the other. And I have every hex with some sort of terrain in it. Uh, not necessarily features or villages or towns, but I have the overall layout. Um, since then, Hexographer has become a new program called Worldographer. Uh, and the new version I'm really excited about because it allows for parent-child map relationships within the same file. So if I ever wanted to say, uh, drive down into a more detailed hex map. Um, the new version of Worldographer will let me do that. And uh, you can do other things like take notes, uh, you can create borders, you can create the rivers and coastlines and fractals now, not just the uh, actual hex edges. Um, you can also do really cool things like hide and show objects. 
which will come into play when I talk about creating my players map. Uh, so if there are things that I want to have by default hidden unless I check an option, I can do that with Hexographer and everything's there. Um, definitely recommend you give this tool a, a look-see. Um, Joe over at Inkwell Ideas is very accessible, uh, really open to ideas. He just had a Kickstarter where he uh, upgraded Hexo Hexographer to version 2.0 and changed it into Worldographer. And uh, the tool's just really matured, and I'm really thrilled that, uh, that he's kept it up and running. So as I mentioned, out of this map, I actually have two versions. Well, to be honest, I have three versions, but one is a modification. Um, the two versions that I started off with were a player's map version and a GM version. Now, why would I necessarily want to do this? Well, if you ever look at maps as how they were created, you know, back in... in uh, before we had things like, you know, satellites and lasers and GPS and all that, uh, there was a good amount of error in them. A lot of maps were very stylistic. Uh, a lot of maps gave impressions. Um, some were extremely accurate, but those were also the maps that were generally commissioned by governments or uh, very rich uh, private industries who needed those accurate maps to be able to, you know, know where the resources were, where to go along coastlines. And so I took that idea and said, yeah, you know, for the players, I don't mind them knowing what is what and what is where. You know, they should know the, uh, you know, the rough borders of where the various duchies are and where the major cities are and where the major roads are. But it's not necessarily going to be accurate and it's not necessarily going to uh, show all of the details. And as things happen, sometimes things change. So some features that were there may no longer be there. So I created one map, and then what I did was, is for the player's map, I turned off a lot of the features. I also turned off the hex grid, and I shuffled a few things around more to make it look artistic than to be actual reality. And then uh, what I did was is I printed those off and made images of them and made them freely available to everybody. Now, the fun part of this is watching the players learn how to use these maps, learn the way things are, and then argue with me when, wait a minute, the forest is here and we went this far. Hmm, yeah, well, that map's probably not too accurate. You might want to spend some gold and hire somebody to correct that for you. Um, but it is it is a good tool for them to get a good idea of roughly where they are and, and you know, where things are at. Now, the GM's map, as you might guess, is extremely accurate. Um, and I maintain this version uh, pretty much after every session if I need to, uh, if I need to correct something or add something, I will go back to the map, I'll go back to the key and update it. And uh, for my key, I use uh, Google Docs, which has a very nice feature of versioning so that if I ever wanted to go back and see what was in this particular location, you know, two, three, four years ago, I can look at those versions until I find the changes and, and see how it's, it's been modified. Um, 
The uh, GM's map also has all of the roads, all of the trails, um, and, and all of the details that I need so that I can describe things and let the players know what, uh, what they're finding. But I make it their responsibility to maintain their own maps and to maintain their own level of detail. Um, I know that some players have taken a lot of effort and time to keep their versions of their maps fairly you know, up to date and accurate as, as far as they can. Uh, that's becoming uh, actually very important lately because my players are traveling uh, far from where their home base is. They've actually uh, gone many days south and they're in a whole new duchy right now. So they are having to explore a whole new area and rely on these, these players' maps to give them a starting point. Um, I also maintain a, a version of the GM's map, which is more of, a, well, I call it my wartime status. So what that does is I have colored uh, where, what is orc held, what is chaos held versus what is human held. And it's just a nice way for me to see at a glance on a season-by-season -season basis how things have changed. Um, so that way, you know, as I'm relaying information to the players, you know, I can give them an idea, well, you know, half of that duchy has fallen to uh, the orcs, so that's why you're seeing a lot of refugees. And it's just a nice visual aid for me. So those are my three maps. Um, maintaining them really is only about maintaining the GM's map. Uh, the players' maps, by and large, once I generated them, um, I'm pretty much done with them. And so the players can do with them what they will. The GM's map is updated really in two key circumstances. Uh, one is when, when it's needed. Um, you know, falling on the example of my players going into uh, the Southern Duchy, They've, um, they've never been here. So I didn't have all of the hex by hex features that I may need, uh, that I needed. You know, I had the major cities, I had the major roads, but now that they're heading in these directions and I got a good idea of where they're going, what I'm doing is, is I'm doing some uh, generation using some spreadsheets and things I've kind of developed, tuned for my campaign. Uh, to tell me, you know, is something in this hex? Is it, you know, a major feature that they're probably going to find by default? Or is it a minor feature that they may or may not run into? Um, once I have that information, then I can put a symbol on the map. I can, you know, make sure that I know that, you know, something is there or something is not there. And, um, you know, go on. I'm try to be about two to three sessions ahead of the players. So, um, you know, to the best of my knowledge, I know where they want to head, and I know a roughly logical path that they might take, so I'll try to fill in the hexes around that direction, and then I'll imagine what if they decide to go crazy and do something else, and so I'll, I'll try to anticipate that and put a few things in there as well. Um, Although I will know those features, I won't necessarily fill in the details until they're very close to getting there. Uh, so, you know, along their path, there may be a castle, there may be a set of ruins, there be a monster lair, there may be uh, a village. 
And I'll know that that's coming up, but I haven't filled in the details. So um, when they get closer to these things, then I'll generate, you know, who the NPCs are and what's the monster and is there anything in this ruins and, and so on. Um, some things I am going ahead and, and predetermining. They are heading to um, a set of ruins. It's likely that there's some sort of a dungeon or some sort of a, you know, area that they need to explore so I am beginning the process of mapping that out though so although you know it's not necessarily just in time I'm kind of saving myself a little bit of work down the road by doing it now um, I did mention that um, you know for me my uh, hex map is at a scale of one day's travel on foot and that's roughly about 24 miles I know some people don't do that. Uh, some people like to get into far, you know, a lot more detail within the hex and so on. My experience is I haven't had to use that. Um, you know, it's almost, I guess, it, to, to use um, a phrase that I've heard, it, it's almost like my hex maps turn into point maps. So, you know, they, they travel to a location, takes them a couple of days, you know, they, they move through the the terrain and then once they get to this point it's really more about okay I know that there's a town here so I'm gonna travel to that town and I'm gonna go about you know half a day um, to the west and we want to go to the monastery that we're used to going to okay you know I didn't need to have a detailed child map to show that uh, it was more established during play that, you know, they go to the town, they head west, they look for the crossroads, the, you know, the broken tree, whatever have you, and they're there. Um, so, you know, I have a good idea of the relationship when I've developed out the hex, you know, between the major features and the minor features. Um, or if not, it just comes out in play, you know. What, what do I feel like? What do I see in my head? What do I imagine? Or maybe the players have an idea and they say, oh, you know, we're heading to this spooky place, so I bet it's, you know, by a graveyard. And, okay, yeah, that's exactly it. You're right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, another thing is, is um, uh, the idea of how many villages, how many hamlets, you know, what is inside of a hex? Uh, you look at some of these maps back from uh, you know, Greyhawk and, and Blackmore and, and what have you, and I got the impression that the density, the population density and the settlement density was really very low. Uh, you know, you almost felt like you were in a type of deserted lands. Um, in my campaign, most of the lands that the players are traveling through were at one time heavily populated. Roughly, I say heavily populated, heavily populated from a medieval type, medieval type, um, you know, setting. But they're not, they're not as empty. So you should be running into several villages per hex. Um, and, and I have a little, uh, a little approach that I use to generate a random village or hamlet on the fly if they want to stay somewhere for the evening. Um, you know, a couple of dice throws and, you know, they, they have a place to sleep and a place to uh, drink and get rumors on where there's crap to find. And, you know, there's a place for them to repair their crap or to buy more crap or to sell their crap, you know. 
Um, generally, that's what adventurers want to do as they're traveling, unless they're heading to a certain location, or I've generated this village as a major feature, so I've added a little something to it. Um, here's a good example. Out in Orkeld territory, uh, I generated a village as a major feature, and uh, it was supposed, the, the, the random generator said, this is supposed to have some sort of an odd magical effect. When I got to thinking about it, I'm like, well, how would a village of humans survive surrounded by orc armies? Ooh, I know. It's actually cloaked. For whatever reason, the, uh, the old village wizard cast a spell, a mighty spell, that allows the village to actually coexist cloaked as long as people don't keep entering and leaving the village. So, you know, as, as the orcs ride by, they see nothing but, you know, grassland. If an orc happens to stumble inside the enchantment, well, then he or they are quickly dispatched. And the villagers made it work for a number of years until, of course, the players ran into it and then things happened and the orcs found it. And, but, you know, there's consequences there. But, um, you know, that was an example of a, of a village that I generated that, you know, had to be there. But as the players move through this hex, it's not where, you know, a village is uncommon. At least in my campaign, they're going to run into several uh, during the day. Um, let's see. So I talked about the scale. Oh, the population. So, and maybe this should be a future topic. Um, I kind of got a little obsessed for a little while and went down the rabbit hole of medieval uh, demographics. And as I mentioned, when I looked at some of the examples um, back from the early days of D&D, it really felt like that these lands that you would travel through, that you would read about in the modules, they just didn't feel very populated. Um, at least that was my experience. Um, I didn't uh, read much into Mistara and some like Forgotten Realms and some of the, uh, the later campaign settings, so maybe that was different. My experience was it felt like we were in, you know, lost lands. Um... So I didn't have a really good example of how to generate a population and how that population would look inside my map. So I used stuff that I just dug up from uh, reading blogs, reading books, uh, going online and researching medieval demographics. There actually is a ton of information and a couple of really interesting generators um, based on actual medieval uh, population numbers and economics that can help you get started if you're designing a campaign and you want to design something in one specific way or another. Um, you know, for me, uh, I came up with a population for each kingdom based on the kind of land it was and the kind of economy they had. And that gave me enough numbers to break it down into, okay, how many villages, how many towns, how many, you know, who, what's the population spread going to be among each? And then I've saved that information off so that as I'm going through and I'm filling in the map, 
I'll have a good idea of, okay, this duchy's really rich. So you're probably going to run into a lot more towns, a lot more villages. You're going to have an easier time getting stuff. Then maybe if you go over into this area of a neighboring duchy, and this area is not quite as uh, resourceful. So you're not going to have as many villages. You're not going to have as many people. That was kind of hard to put on a map. Um, so I ended up using more of my key and just notes per uh, location and notes per uh, duchy to keep track of that information. And I'll go back and look at that as I'm generating, uh, you know, the maps and getting detailed because the players are going there. Um, so what about dungeon maps? What about specific locations themselves? Well... I cheat on dungeons. Um, unless it's a dungeon for a major location that I really have a good feeling about, I just use random dungeons that I either find on the internet. Um, I like going to the one one page dungeon contest uh, compilations that uh, there's usually some really good dungeons in there I'll grab. Um, I've mentioned before and I'll mention again Dyson Logos with his uh, uh, just hundreds of maps that he has on his website that he, uh, you know, he keeps creating. I steal those liberally and shuffle those around and make those into dungeons. Um, same thing for towns and villages. Now that I have the luxury that there's usually a lot of neat maps or pictures available uh, from medieval times that uh, I can go and steal if the players want a, uh, you know, want a detailed map. But one of the things I found is that unless it's a major location where they're going to spend a lot of time, they don't really care what the layout is. So I've learned that I don't have to put a lot of detail into it unless it's a place that they're going to spend time at. Most, like I said, most of the time the players care about three things. Where to buy their stuff, where to sell the stuff, and where to buy things to help me get more stuff or to find out about where the stuff is. So my advice to you is, is with all of this is don't sweat it until you need it. And there's lots of tools out there that you can uh, get to to help you if uh, you're pressed for time or you just need a good starting place. So that's really all I wanted to cover about how I do mapping and what I uh, put on my maps. I hope you found this uh informative. Like I mentioned, I'm going to put the links to some examples of my maps. Um, some of the GM maps may be a little fuzzy because I don't want the players to see everything, and I know that they do look at my blogs. Um, and I'll also put a link for World Worldographer. As I mentioned, uh, I really highly recommend that you grab this tool and use it for uh, generating your hex maps. All right. Well, that's about it for this episode. I want to thank you for listening. And I want to tell you again that I really appreciate all the comments, all the suggestions. I really do appreciate the reviews and the uh, shares and the retweets on Twitter and uh, the shouts out on Reddit and uh, across the various blogs and on Google Plus and on Facebook. Please keep passing the uh podcast information around um, and let me know what you think and what you'd like to hear about in the future. Um, I do have a really exciting, cool thing related to campaign creation coming up here in the next couple of episodes. I'm going to have my first guest. In fact, he is a uh, podcaster and uh, vlogger 
And I'm really looking forward to us putting our heads together and seeing what crazy stuff we can come up with. And one final thing, um, if I haven't mentioned it before, please do check out my Three Hexes campaign starters. I've started a weekly blog series on my chicagowiz-games.blogspot.com. That's my, uh, my RPG blog. Um, check them out. Every week I post a Three Hex campaign starter uh, with a different theme or a different approach. Some are for space campaigns, some are for fantasy, some are for post-apocalyptic or, you know, uh, any sort of mutant sci-fi game you want to have. But they're meant to give you great starting points as well as to show you you don't need a lot to start a cool campaign. So I hope you'll check those out. Okay, thanks for listening, and until next time, game on. Game on.